Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar, and this is going to be episode 158 of The Informed Catholic, episode 158. And for this episode, we're going to pick up where we left off in studying the gospel according to Mark. I know it's been a while, uh, but uh, we're going to try to pick up where we left off, kind of do a little recap and um, we're going to, you know, try to do a recap and then pick up the uh, the next step that we were beginning to read, which was uh, at the baptism of our Lord, I believe. And then uh, we'll move on from there. So before we begin, please subscribe and share to the podcast. And let's begin with the opening prayer for the reading of Scripture. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Come, O Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, you instructed the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the, of the, of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by the same Holy Spirit to have right, right judgment in all things, and ever rejoice in his consolation through Christ our Lord. Amen. And we ask for Our Lady to pray for us, St. Joseph to pray for us, St. Peter to pray for us, St. Mark, because it is Mark's gospel we're reading, and St. Jerome, St. Athanasius, and St. Augustine to please pray for us. And we're also going to ask for the guidance uh, for the uh, intercession of St. John Henry Newman as well. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so um, I'm going to use the uh, right now for our gospel study and we'll we'll do other uh, other translations as well, but I think this is a fairly good translation. It's the uh, New Catholic translation. I mean, I've used it a few times. It's not bad. Uh, there's always going to be, you know, a few bumps on the road with translations, but English language is not perfect. That's one thing we got to remember. <laughs> uh, it's not a religious, it's not a liturgical language. Uh, that's something a lot of people have to remember about English. Um Hebrew is a liturgical language, uh, Aramaic, uh, even uh, Greek and Latin. Uh, English, not so much. Okay, let's read. I'm going to read the um, the entire chapter of, of uh, the gospel. Well, I'll read up to where we where we stopped. Okay. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in the, in the prophet Isaiah, Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Hence, John the Baptist appeared in the desert, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. People from the entire Judean countryside and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem went out to him, 
and as they confessed their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John was clothed with a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food consisted of locusts and wild honey. And this was the message he proclaimed. One who is far more powerful than I am is coming after me. I am not worthy even to stoop down and loosen the strap of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And as he was coming up out of the water, he beheld the heavens break open and the spirits descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the desert. He remained there for forty days during which the time he was tempted by Satan. He lived there among the wild beasts while the angels ministered to him. All right, we'll stop there. All right, so the last time, uh, last few episodes, when I, um, sec, uh, episodes I worked on this, we learned uh, from chapter one, verse one, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Now, Mark's gospel is based on St. Peter's preaching. Uh, this is confirmed by many of the apostolic fathers, those who knew the apostles, and they passed it down to the church fathers, uh, a generation after them. It remained uh, an actual official apostolic teaching because Mark was Peter's secretary, sort of his scribe. He learned from him. Mark was also, uh, he first, he worked uh, on missionaries with St. Barnabas. Actually, he was probably a cousin to Barnabas. And he was also, um, he worked with St. Paul. Uh, according to the, to the book of Acts, he sort of like abandoned the mission with St. Paul. And this caused a dispute with St. Paul and St. Barnabas. Now, uh, later on, he was uh, in partner with St. Peter. Mark's uh, family uh, provided the upper room for the Last Supper, the same upper room that was uh, for, that, that was, that with the, uh, Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit took place. Mark's uh, father and mother, they provided that. It was probably an inn. And that upper room came to be known as Mount Zion because of the fact that it symbolized, it paralleled, it, uh, it had a typography, a typology, excuse me, of what happened in Mount Zion, Mount Sinai with Moses and the elders. They sat down, ate bread and wine before the presence of God. All right? They 
The cloud came down. It covered the image of God shown through the crowd, the cloud, and all they saw was his feet. Well, in the upper room, instead of God sitting in front of them, covered by the glory cloud, in the upper room, it was Christ who sat with them at table and shared a meal with them. So, technically, in a, a theological sense, though that event was fantastic for the Jewish people, uh, when that covenant meal that they had, the covenant of bread and wine, we Christians had it far greater because we had the incarnate God at table with us. The apostles had Jesus at table with them who was providing the meal. And not only a meal, he gave them his body and blood. He gave them the new covenant in his body and blood. So it was far greater Though it was fantastic to have God sitting in front of you, it, the Christian, for us Christians, it's far greater than that of Israel, the, the, what, what the Jews had at Mount Sinai. So, yeah, so the upper room was, came to be known as Mount Zion. If you ever take a pilgrimage in Jerusalem, you'll see a plaque that says Mount Zion. All of Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70 except the upper room and you and read the book of Hebrews and you'll see that it's the writer, which is supposed to be St. Paul. And I believe it's St. Paul said it was that he called it Mount Zion. All right. So moving on from there. Now, another interesting factor is how Mark begins his gospel, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Uh, it's a callback. The beginning is a callback to Genesis. Um, Matthew's gospel can also be translated as the beginning of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Okay, son of uh, son of David, son of Abraham, and that's again a callback to a Genesis. Uh, Luke doesn't begin that way. Uh, he he begins it in a more Greek formula where he wants to do a historical recap. John's gospel goes right back to a Genesis theme. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then there's an edited version where people often say, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So Mark is using some, uh, a theme, a theological theme that is commonly that was probably commonly used by the uh, the apostles that Jesus himself was the source of of all things that Jesus himself uh, calls back to the great event where all things came to be they realized that and um, the word gospel we went through that also Gospel is obviously good news, good tidings for all. But in the time when the Christian faith began, there was always this thing that even, let's say, when there was a battle that was won, the Greeks used it. Uh, good news, good news. Uh, uh, we won. We won the war. Uh, Alexander won. 
Athens won. Good news to all. Uh, that time the Caesar, Caesar's army used the same thing. Good news. Or uh, today um, Caesar has a new son. Or today uh, Caesar has won the battle uh, against so-and-so. Good news for all. Good news. Everyone is saved. Or Caesar is God. Caesar is blessed by the gods. It's um, it's used it's used by the pagan secular world, but at the same time, here comes something that sort of crosses the line. Good news: the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ is God. It's a revolutionary. It's a revolutionary thing because Christianity is not going to be like other religions. For example, it's just like, it's just an offshoot of Judaism. Technically, it's Judaism. Christianity is Judaism. Uh, and it should be accepted. We are, uh, we are Messianic believers. We're Messianic Gentiles. We're, mess we're also members of the Jewish body because by receiving the body and blood of Christ, we are conformed into... Uh, an Israel, a complete, an accomplished Israel, a fulfilled Israel, a prophetically fulfilled Israel. And this is something that I think is very important. We're, we're going to eventually talk about it later on. So the next part is Jesus. Jesus means God saves. And Christ is Messiah, Mashiach, Messiah, the, the anointed one, God's anointed one, God, God's anointed one who is sealed in the oil, the Holy Spirit is often identified with oil, fire, wind, water. And the one, Christ, is the one who is sealed in oil. He is the Savior. He is the source. He's also the source of that saving oil. He is the source of salvation. The Son of God. The Caesars were called Son of God. The Sons of God. But this is truly God. The Messiah, the Anointed One, is from God and is the Son of God and He is God. So, again, we went through all this part. So now we're going to go through um, the scripture passages that Mark brings up here. So, chapter 1, verse 1 of St. Mark is a title verse. You can say it's a title verse. You can say it's an opening, but it's a title verse. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. All right. So it's a title verse. And then he goes from there. Uh, he goes in his narration begins with what was written by the prophet Isaiah. Okay. He uh, Mark quote uh, Mark quotes a mixture of texts uh, taken from Exodus chapter twenty three verse twenty Malachi chapter three verse one Isaiah chapter forty verse three. Okay, the texts from Exodus twenty three twenty and Malachi chapter three verse one are molded together in Mar in in Mark chapter one verse two, and speak of a plan of God. Okay, addresses someone uh, confidently about a special task 
and will send a messenger ahead of this person. Okay, once more. Chapter uh, Mark chapter 1 verse 2 speak of a plan of God and addresses someone con uh, confidentially, in a confidently, you know, in a secret way, in a secret manner about a special task and will send a messenger ahead of this person. The purpose of the route to be taken becomes clear in a quotation from Isaiah 40 verse 3. Okay. So, a form of sec a section of the book of the book of Isaiah, often called Deutero Isaiah, which is concerned with the end of the Babylonian exile, a voice announces that God prepares a way for His people through the rough terrain of the wilderness between Babylon and Israel, so that they can return home unhindered. Um. Valleys will be filled, mountains will be leveled. The way of St. Mark combines the quotations, it becomes clear that the person addressed by God has to embark on the, upon this route in order to set God's people free, which is the Messiah, the Christ. Okay, the texts actually quoted by St. Mark are not all taken from Isaiah, nor are they from the prophetic books only. The point here is not textual accuracy but the fact that this is scripture and therefore the living word of god the initiative for the gospel the real beginning of the narration lies with god who has a plan for the liberation of his people and who has addressed someone to carry out his plan saint mark clearly expects his readers to have knowledge of the old testament Careful comparisons with the Old Testament text reveal that St. Mark even enhances this citation a little bit, adding two possessive pronouns, your way, his paths, so that the emphasis falls on this special person to whom God entrusts the important mission of freeing his people. A messenger will be sent ahead. But the reader still doesn't know who will come after the after that that messenger. One word that jumps out in these quotations is uh, is way or path, and this is this is no coincidence. The gospel is all about a way. Someone will embark upon the way designated by God. If the reader wants to understand the good news. And this good news in capital letter uh, letters here, he or she should be willing to travel down that road, that path, that way. In fact, the oldest known um, of title for the for the Christians is those belonging to the way. Acts chapter nine verse two. So, we can see now what's uh why you know we have to take this slowly uh, to understand this because to understand how the gospel how mark designed his gospel it is with a theological uh intention a theological plan in order to to uh help mold those who are listening back then to uh, the mind of uh, of the gospel to the way of the gospel. Um, 
it's this this is something that we still have to do we have to do this for the rest of our lives if we wish to become better disciples of jesus christ we have to keep molding ourselves we have to let the holy spirit mold us we have to let christ the word of god mold us we have to let the trinity mold us we have to let the saints mold us because the saints are molded um in the, in the image and likeness of God, uh, the, the, the gospel especially. Now, a little something on, on John the Baptist here. John the Baptist, who is a prophet like Elijah, prepares this divinely designated way. At the same time, St. Mark is preparing the reader to travel along this way. The one who is coming after John the Baptist will baptize with the Holy Spirit. All right. Now we're going to look into those quotations again, those, uh, these quotations. Okay. So hold on. I'll get back. I'll get back to you. Okay. Exodus chapter 23, verse 20. And, uh, it's actually titled above this verse promises the instructions for entering into Canaan. All right. Behold, I will send an angel before you to protect you on your way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. All right. Now, if you look at this verse carefully, behold, I will send an angel. It can be translated as messenger before you to protect you on your way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. All right. So the word way, you're, you're you know, to protect you on your way, your way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared a place and prepared. So this is for us the way. OK, why does why does the way broad is the way that leads to destruction, to hell, the way the the way to salvation, the way to heaven is narrow and straight is the way that leads to heaven. So the straight way, meaning not to let anything else get uh, to misguide you, to misguide you on the road to salvation, not to let the world, not to let false friends, not to let uh, the temptations or the lies or the the false promises which we often say about the devil the devil and his empty promises to take us off that path you know when people when we when we sin when we fall into temptation when we go after other things that don't are not good for us that we th we want to believe is good for us but misguide us and lead us into uh, a destructive lifestyle that let our passions and our disordered desires take over, people become miserable. People become unhappy and confused. They want all these things, but even when they get them, they're not happy. Because it's it's not going to make you happy because it's, temp it's temporary. You know, you see a lot of the young people today. You see how they listen to a lot of the music. Uh, you know, I've always been struggling with my neighbor upstairs. And the music, you hear it, is disordered. On my job the other day, uh, they had Black Lives Matter coming and protesting because there was a, a, a 
particular opening of a show and some of them got arrested on that particular night and they came back to protest. And a lot of them were dysfunctional people. I saw a, a trans person dressed up in a ugly, dirty, one-piece bathing suit. It was a, a dude. And they didn't make any sense. None of them made any sense about what they were protesting. And it didn't make any, you know, and you see that about them. They're, they're all disordered. They're all from various different alternative lifestyles. Um, you know, they sort of like, it was almost like a party to them. But um, it was a short party because <laughs> they just went, they just went away after a while. There wasn't really much. They had a blow horn and they were shouting and it looked like they got bored after a while. And then they had one of them, one of their own came along with a big SUV or something, a Jeep and blasting some speakers on Fifth Avenue to make a lot of noise, a lot of, to disrupt the neighborhood, to disrupt people. But it was just a lot of noise. And eventually they went away. It was, you know, disordered passions. I think the biggest problem with them you see with, with people who have, who live by their passions and their lusts is often they are, they get bored quickly. And the more they get bored, the more they want, the more they make the music louder, which they, they, it's not really music, it's just noise, because they don't want to think. They want to block out the thinking. They want to try to block out the boredom. They try to want to block out their conscience, the voice of, that, of their conscience that tells them that this is not the right path. So you go deeper into drugs. You get you get. You get deeper into debauchery, you get deeper into disordered passions, and you want you want the noise to be louder. And eventually, what happens is, it just gets worse. And either you want you want to block out everything, and maybe start looking for, start listening to another voice, the voice crying out in the wilderness, because you're already wandering in the wilderness. You're already wandering in the wilderness, so God, come, the voice of God comes to you in the wilderness to bring you back. All right, so that we read that one. So let's go to um, Isaiah. All right, for Isaiah 40, verse 3, I'm going to go back a few verses. All right, so I'm going to try to read, and uh, I'll tell you where this verse 3 comes up. Isaiah 40, salvation of the Lord. This is from the New Catholic Version, so it's not bad, it's just not great either. Comfort my people and console them, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her time of servitude is over and that her guilt has been expiated. Indeed, she has been received from the Lord's hand, double punishments for all her sins. This is verse 3 now coming up. A voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make a straight path in the desert for our God. Okay, that's the end of verse 3. Let every valley be filled in and every mountain and hill be made low. Uneven ground will be made smooth and the rugged places will become like a plain. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, 
and all mankind will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice cries out. I reply, what shall I cry out? All mortals are grass. They last no longer than the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord falls upon them. Surely the people are grass. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of our God will endure forever. Climb to the top of, the, of a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings, good news. Cry out as loudly as you can, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift up your voice without, fe without fear and proclaim to the city of Judah, here is your God. See the Lord God approaching with power. He who rules with his powerful arm, his reward is with him and his recompense is before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd and in his arms he will gather the lambs, carrying them in his bosom and gently leading the pregnant ewes to water. Okay, that was, okay, so ver, of, uh, chapter 4, verse 3, chapter 40, verse 3, cry out, a voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make a straight path in the desert for our God. But I, I wanted to read that whole portion there because I wanted to show you how important, how deep the prophecy goes. It, it you know, it describes a one who's gone out to, to be a herald, to be a herald, to be the one who announces. You know, sometimes when we see the president before he speaks before Congress and, uh, and someone cries out, is this person introduces the president madam speaker or mr you know pres you know uh, president you know the president of the united states and he everybody cheers and you see like the person who introduces someone on stage here's johnny or uh, here comes out your uh, your your champion wrestler your champion boxer in a sense this is that's a herald he's announcing the coming john the baptist was that he announces the coming of, of, of Jesus Christ. He's telling the world, here is your God. Here is, here is the, the one who will fulfill the covenant. You know, the final person we've been waiting for on stage. And that's, that's exactly it. But what you notice here in Isaiah is the herald is telling people, this is your opportunity to listen, your opportunity to hear the good news. Because we mortals have a short span of life. What, we're lucky if we make it to, uh, you know, 60 years now with all the different diseases that we have. The, you know, uh, my father passed away of uh, pancreatic cancer and he passed away at 59. All right, 59. I just turned 50 this year. And I want to make sure I want to go to heaven. I want my mother to go to heaven. I want my brother to go to heaven. I want my friends, the friends I love, to go to heaven. I want I want everyone I love who is part of my life to go to heaven. 
And if anyone is listening, I want you to go to heaven as well. We have very little time left. Time goes by quickly. And if we let distractions, and I've let a lot of distractions. As a time in my life, I wanted to become an illustrator. It never happened. I still like to paint. I still like to draw. And I hope there's still something I can use my skills for the glory of God. And I went after stupid things. Like now, I look at all these things I used to wanted to to do like become a comic book artist and go after this i realized these things became pagan idols when you look at them they're meaningless they're meaningless mythologies they're not mythologies with any real meaning sure we might put meaning into them we might write good stories but we keep we we recycle them they're recyclable mythologies and it's not good you know, certain things, certain stories are supposed to have uh, an allegorical meaning, uh, a metaphor uh, of things. But we are a recyclable society. Our mythologies are recyclable. They're constantly, you know, you know like someone said once, uh, first of all, they're corporate mythologies. That's, that's even worse. They're a product that belongs to a big corporation. Marvel, Disney, Warner Brothers, DC. And they're, you know, after a while, they're meaningless. They're supposed to represent certain virtues. But what happens is when a society begins to fall apart, block out the noise. It's a very noisy morning. Um, what happens is those virtues, we, we're coming to a stage in our history, especially in American history, maybe globally, where de we're deconstructing ourselves. We're doubting ourselves. We're questioning ourselves. We're we have a self-loathing for our for ourselves as a nation, as, as a culture. And, he's, and this is even happening in the church with some of our pastors. I mean, my um, lately I've noticed in my uh, Liturgy of the Hours, the office of reading, it's been a big sermon from St. Augustine to, to bad shepherds, to bad bishops. Even back then, in the time of St. Augustine, a lot of men took the office of bishop to live comfortably. And when you begin to live comfortably, you begin to have self-loathing for the office because really you, your conscience is telling you, you don't really believe in this. You just use this so you can live well, live comfortably. And you're not really living up to your office. St. Augustine's warning is to bad shepherds is that you are not taking care of your sheep. You're not taking care of your parishioners. You're not binding you're not you're not helping them spiritually and it's interesting that this is in the office of reading you see how the holy spirit always manages to put these things in the office of readings and you see this you see how i pray for pope francis every day he's he's trying to conform the church to the world instead of trying to to bring the the world to the church and the church converting the world, conforming the world to Christ. It's happening with all the bishops. There's a big problem, and I think it's because of the way they were formed. We've, said, we've talked about it before. We're going to have to go now to Malachi, the last one.
Okay, Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. Behold, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me. And suddenly the Lord whom you seek will come to the temple as well as the messenger of the covenant. Okay? And a messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. This is interesting. Behold, I, first person, am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me. To prepare, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me. Speaking in the first person. And suddenly the, the Lord's, the, suddenly the Lord whom you seek will come to the temple. And suddenly the Lord whom you seek will come to the temple. The speaking of Jesus. As well as the messenger of the covenant. The messenger of the covenant. Speaking of John the Baptist. Because it says I'm sending my messenger. So the messenger is another person. And the Lord obviously is himself. In whom, in the message of the covenant, in whom you delight, indeed he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So you see how the Holy Spirit molded these three passages into one. Editing, and it basically creates a whole new uh, uh, verse, technically. And these three passages come together and they're molded to create a new passage, a new scripture passage, one that's more oral tradition than actual, than, than written form. But still, nonetheless, it becomes written form either way. But it, it has an oral tradition. And this oral tradition is with the apostles. Because you see how they, they saw all these passages and they, and they, it's sort of like a, a, a charismatic instinct, a spiritual instinct, molded them together uh, through oral tradition and through tradition to, through the uh, in the light of Christ. It it didn't happen, let's say, deliberately. It happened through the Holy Spirit, through the light of the Holy Spirit, in in under the fulfillment of Christ's new covenant. That's how it did it. So, you know, now we got through that. Let's look at something here. Hold on. So we read. Um, okay, now we're going to look here at the preparation of the Baptist. The location of John the Baptist in the wilderness allows the reader to identify him as the messenger that was spoken of by God. John the Baptist is the voice crying out in the wilderness in Mark chapter 1, verse 3. All right, so the location of John the Baptist in the wilderness allows the reader to identify him as the messenger that was spoken of by God. John the Baptist is the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He is the messenger of the covenant. Mark chapter 1, verse 3. The kind of preparation he provides involves calling people to repentance. The baptism that John administers is not a sacrament, but one-time ritual, washing in preparation for the coming of that special person whom God will send. The purpose of the baptism of John 
involves repentance, which literally means a change of mind and heart. The baptism of John, therefore, implies a moral conversion. All right, so you know how the people have, uh, the Jewish people have what's called a mitvah, which is a ritual washing, uh, sort of, you know, in case they've done things through the week or whatever, so they can take part in, in, um, in the uh, the Jewish festivals, the Jewish religious festivals like Yom Kippur. It's a formal way to take to sort of wash away. Since it's kind of very similar to the Muslim preparation where men and women have to what they call a wadha, sort of like a washing. They wash their hands, their feet, all the way up to their elbows, their knees. Uh, if they've gone to the bathroom, they have to wash that, that, that those private parts. Um, in a sense, if, you know, just, just so they can, they can pray. And they do that. They do that. You know, they they wash their back of their ears, inside the ears, the nose. They rinse out their mouth, the back of their neck. They do all those things. It's it's really it comes down from the Jewish mitzvah. Basically, they have to do it. Um, but for the Christian, it's a one-time baptism because it's not the outward physical parts. Those things, of course, have to be washed. We take baths every day, but it's not necessarily a bath. It's a ritual washing where you sort of like a washing yourself. And it's understandable. And it's in a sense, it's a good thing, but it's the heart. It doesn't wash away the sin from the heart. It doesn't wash away sin from the conscience, the mind. It doesn't wash away even if you in, if you have given into temptation. Because that's, remember, it's it's the temptation, the sin in the heart that one has to think about. And that's where it changes. And that's where the, the, the Christian message completely changes. We have to convert our hearts. You can wash yourself a thousand times. How many thousand times can you, will you wash yourself ritually? But let's say you don't convert. Your intentions are not to let go of those sins, Right? And that's where the problem lies. This is where we're gonna we're gonna pick up uh, next time. We're gonna go through this. Um, so I'm gonna stop here, and uh, next time we'll pick up on this part. All right. So let's just say uh, hail Mary, and uh, I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I got back to doing this. But we're gonna get back again. So let's begin in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. Now the hour of our death. Amen. Lord, thank you for this uh, for this moment of Bible study, for studying the Gospel of Mark. Thank you for, uh, for opening up the Scriptures to us. Thank you for sending us uh, salvation through your Son, Jesus. And, and thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit to guide us through all these things. We give you thanks and praise through Jesus Christ, our Lord, your only begotten Son. And we ask for the prayers and intercessions of Mary, the, uh, the Mother of God, St. Joseph, St. Peter, St. Mark, St. Augustine, St. Jerome, St. Athanasius, and St. John Henry Newman. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.